Well, good morning. All right, good, thanks. Welcome to Scottsdale. My name is Jeff, and I'm one of the pastors here. And it's a, a special privilege to be able to uh, preach this morning. It is the, the first Lord's Day of the new year. First Lord's Day of 2020. Not only is that, it's the first Lord's Day of the decade. First Lord, and I get to preach on the first Lord's Day of the decade. I'm excited about that. I mean, you only get a couple of those in a lifetime, right? And so this is one of them, and I'm excited about that. Uh, you guys all know that to, this is the year 2020. And so I'm sure that in your mind, as you're preparing for today, and you're thinking, what's, what's the topic going to be? What's the sermon title going to be? And then you had in your mind, I bet I know what it is. And then that next feeling was the same thing that this guy felt. Endless church sermons with the 2020 vision. We're not going to do that today. We're not going to talk about your vision today, about the 2020 vision that you have, but we are going to talk about God's direction for your life and how God's word comes to bear on it and what God's word says for us today. Now, we all have a variety of perspectives coming into a new year, don't we? For some of you, last year was, if you're just honest with yourself about it and with others, you'd say it was a really bad year. Like things did not go the way that you anticipated. Maybe you, you made some decisions, some choices that were, in hindsight, you said, I should never have gone down that road. And, and this year, you're looking for kind of a new start. You're excited about what the new year brings and, and the potentials and possibilities of what could come for this coming year. There's some of you whose last year was really, really great. And you kind of step into the new year with a little bit of fear and anxiety because you think, and that was like the best year of my life. And so it's going to go downhill from here. And you're like anxious about, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen this year that's going to kind of cancel out everything good that happened last year? Now, we all, as we come into this year, we, we've probably had the question asked of us. You've probably asked it yourself. But the question is typically this. What is your New Year's resolution? Now, uh, for most of us, we've asked that question, maybe, maybe in our homes, what are our resolutions? Maybe your boss has asked that to you at work and said, hey, what are you going to do this year? What's your, what's your goal for the year? Um, but the reality is that most Americans, 40 to 60%, make a New Year's resolution. So how many of you guys here today are resolutionists? How many of you make resolutions over the course of the year? Come on, raise your hands high. Don't be, don't be ashamed. Okay. All right. Some of you make resolutions. Now, I did some research to see what are some of the most popular resolutions? And really, it's kind of the same ones year after year after year. You know, they kind of become a rote repetition. Maybe some of you guys' resolutions this year are a resolution like Holly the Bear. Like, you think to yourself, I've put on some holiday reserves, you know, over the past couple of months. And, uh, and this, this year is going to be a time for me to work off those reserves and, uh, and lose some weight. And, uh, and, uh, and you've got your keto or Whole30 or whatever plan that's out there that you're going for this year. Uh, some of you have some uh, financial resolutions. You know, maybe you've racked up a little bit of credit card debt over the last month and you're thinking, all right, let's go ahead and, uh, and make some financial resolutions so that we can be maybe a better steward of the resources that God's given us. Some of you are not just going to seek to, to gain uh, uh, weight loss, but you're going to seek to be just more healthy in your lifestyle. So you want to be more active and, uh, and, and exercise more. Some of you have some re, re, um, relationship resolutions. You've had some broken relationships over the past year or maybe for the past couple of years. And this year you're thinking, okay, this is the year that I make that phone call that I've been wanting to make 
uh, and say that I'm sorry for what I did or, or call and just rekindle a friendship that, that was so helpful in the past and, and maybe resolve some issues or, or reconcile in your relationships. Now, uh, while some of us are, are resolution makers, there are some of us that are not resolution makers. How many, how many of you guys are anti-resolutionists? Raise your hands, anti-resolutionists. And now I figured that there's really two camps of these kinds of folks. One camp is the camp that says, I make resolutions all the time and I never keep them. And so you just kind of throw it out the window and say, I'm not doing it this year because I just fail, right? And then there's the other, the other camp that are like the carefree spirits, right? And you're like, this year is gonna be an adventure. I don't know what's gonna happen, but whatever comes, I'm gonna take it by the, I'm gonna take it by the horns and I'm gonna go with it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make the most out of whatever is offered this year. The reality is that for all of us, whether we are resolutionists or anti-resolutionists, this year, there are gonna be new opportunities for us. There's gonna be new, um, new challenges. There will be new uh, situations that we find ourselves in. And uh, there are also gonna be times that we think about, you know, what is it that I wanna do in my spiritual life? You know, resolutions are always about, typically about uh, being better. Can I be a better me, a better, how can I do things better? And that's true for our spiritual lives as well, isn't it? So maybe for you this, this coming year, you have some spiritual resolutions. Maybe your resolutions center around, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna try to turn, come to church more as a family. We're gonna, we're gonna try and read the Bible more together as a family. We're going to try and be active in missional living. There, there are a variety of, of spiritual resolutions that we can have as well. So this, this morning, as we've gathered here, and now we're just gonna take a few moments to think about resolutions. And, and the reality is that God's word does give us some insight into that. And we ask the question, are they good or are they bad? And God's word helps us to see in 2 Thessalonians chapter one that resolutions can be a helpful thing. We see this, Paul writes, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. So we see Paul is praying that the resolutions that the, that the Thessalonians were making would, would come to fruition, that God would accomplish through them great works. Resolutions can certainly be a helpful guide for us. They can be helpful to guard us in many ways. And so over these next few moments, I just wanna take some time for us to, to consider resolutions in their proper perspective, to consider how we are gonna go about our lives from a biblical perspective perspective so that we don't get off on kind of two extreme possibilities. So uh, our text for the morning is going to be uh, Jeremiah chapter six. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Jeremiah chapter six. We're gonna look at verse 16 is gonna be our starting verse for this morning. Uh, we'll, we'll cover some other verses through uh, the course of our time together. Don't get, don't get anxious or nervous. They'll all be on the screens uh, for you to be able to see. And if, there's, uh, if, you have a, if you're looking for a Bible, you don't have one, and you'd like to be able to read it over the course of the next year, there's one in the pew in front of you. We'd love for that to be a great gift for us to be able to get into your hands uh, for you to be able to invest in your walk with Christ. So Jeremiah chapter six, verse 16. The Lord says through Jeremiah, thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it, that it is living and it's active. We thank you that you've given it to us and we pray this morning that you would speak to us through your word. Would you open our eyes to see 
the truth of the gospel? Would you open our eyes and our hearts to embrace Christ and to love him? And I pray that our time together will be fruitful and that we will grow in our knowledge of you and that we would walk faithfully with you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Have you ever been traveling somewhere and you came to a, a crossroads of sorts, like a point of decision, and you had to make the decision, and whichever decision you made was going to lead you in a variety of paths, or there's going to be a consequence for the decision that you made, the direction that you chose to go. Uh, Ashley and I went to New York City just a couple of weeks ago, and we had a situation very similar to this. It was something uh, that we were a little bit, we knew in our minds could potentially happen, but weren't really expecting as much of uh, the possibility that came to be. So the reality is whenever we, we stepped onto the platform in the New York subway system, anybody has ever been to New York and been part of the subway system? Yeah, for, for a lot of people, it looked like they had it all under control. And they were hopping on the bus, on the trains, they were hopping off the trains, they were going here and there and everywhere, but Ashley and I were just like, where do we go? What are we supposed to do with all this? And then, so I, I pulled up on my phone the, the map of the, of the subway system. <laughs> and as you can imagine, that provided absolutely zero help for me. It looks like a spaghetti model for a hurricane. And I looked at it and I thought to myself, you know, where in the world am I supposed to go? Like you got the A train that goes uptown, you got the B train that goes downtown, you got the C train that goes to Brooklyn, you got the Z train that goes to LaGuardia. And then you, you get on there and you're like, there's the one train that goes to Harlem, the two train that goes to, and I'm thinking, I'm, I'm definitely going to end up at the bottom of the Hudson River. I don't know. Like, I'm going to get off on the wrong place, and, and they're going to be calling my family. He's not coming back. And I thought to myself, how oh, we got to get, we got to be safe. We got to make this. And so what did we do? We started asking people, how do I get to here? So we asked three people. And uh, as you can kind of tell from my accent, I'm not, I have a, a Southern kind of accent, and uh, the folks that I was interacting with didn't. And so when they started trying to describe where I was going, it was just like, okay, yeah, <laughs> And then we asked this one person in a booth, and the microphone worked two-thirds of the times that we talked, and so it was like, you need to go to C, six, Help me, guys. And then so we were just like, oh, this is not going to work at all. And Ashley said, you need to go ask that security guy over there. He, he gave somebody directions and they didn't come back out. So I'm thinking we're good. And so we went and talked to him. He gave us the directions. He was so helpful. And, and he patiently explained to us where we needed to go, what trains we needed to take, what stops we needed to get off on, what not to miss. You see, Jeremiah is kind of helping the people of Israel in the same way. Now, he's not dealing with a subway system. He's, he's dealing with a system of life. Uh, he's, he's helping them to see that they're at a crossroads of sort and that they, they have some decisions to make. And, and in this crossroads, there's a, there's a variety of competing voices. There, there are a variety of competing agendas and directions that they're they are being influenced by and encouraged to take. But Jeremiah is reminding them that there's really only, way, only one way that's gonna, that's gonna get them safely through. There's only one way that's gonna be the way it's going to provide the kind of life that they are looking for. Now, in the context of this book, the travelers are the people of Judah. And if you know anything about Israelite history, they haven't really been faithfully following the Lord. They've wandered away from him. Uh, they've, uh, they've gone their own way, and this is a call for them to return. It's kind of a, a last-ditch effort in many ways to say, come back to the Lord. Return to his paths. 
It's a call for them to stop going the way that they are going and to turn to the Lord's path, to live as his people for his glory. They stand at a crossroads. They stand at a point of decision. Will they continue going the way that they've been going or will they hear the direction of the Lord and will they turn? Will they come back to him? The same is true for us today. Today we stand at the beginning of a new year and in your life there are dozens of competing voices. There are dozens of competing agendas and directions that are trying to pull your attention and your affection to follow after them. And this morning, as we look at God's word, uh, we have, with all these voices and choices, we have a question to ask ourselves. Will we, will we return and go and hear the way that the Lord has provided for us in his old paths, which lead to rest? Or will we continue to go our old way, which leads to death? I want you to notice first in this passage that the old paths without new life leads to spiritual slavery. Old paths without new life leads to spiritual slavery. In the text, God directs his people to look for something as they are standing. As they are standing, he says, look and inquire, have a vision of, observe, study something. And he tells them to study the ancient paths, the old paths. Now, for just a quick second, we have to take a step back and say, we can't read all of our contemporary understanding of ancient and old into the path, into the text, because we'd come away thinking, that's boring. We think of everything that is ancient and old as boring and dusty and dry, and I don't really want to go that direction. We want contemporary, we want fast, we want new, we want exciting. We have to be careful that we don't read into this information about methods, He's not talking about going back to the methods of ministry in the 1950s or the 1850s or the 1550s. He's not saying, all right, guys in Judah, you need to kind of retrofit the temple and and change the draperies and make it look like an old school feel. He's not directing them towards those kinds of things. Jeremiah is not directing them towards a kind of a general sense of nostalgia and looking back on the good old days and trying to reclaim and recapture those feelings. He's directing them to a path that transcends culture. It transcends uh, our our necessary directions that we're going currently. It transcends all those things and focuses on the eternal and unwavering foundations that God has given us in how we are to relate with him. These These are the eternal paths that God has given to his people to help them walk in a right relationship with him. These are the paths that have been worn by the faithful saints of old, that they have taken for centuries and centuries and centuries. And in this context, uh, he's directing their attention probably most, most specifically to the, the issue of the Mosaic covenant that God made with Israel at Mount Sinai in Exodus. Now, as we read through this scripture, uh, we, we, are, we are confronted with something pretty early on. Whenever we read through Jeremiah, it appears, kind of from an outsider looking in, that the people of Israel are doing the old paths, that they're, that they're involved in doing the old stuff. We see it in Jeremiah chapter six, verse 20. It says, God says this to Israel, what use to me is frankincense that comes from Sheba or sweet cane from a distant land? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices pleasing to me. You see, in this verse, we see that they were very active in bringing sacrifices. And these weren't just like run of the mill, grab it out of the cupboard, 
you know, kind of leftover kind of sacrifices. They were spending a lot of money, a lot of their resources to go and get the very best sacrifices that they could find. Now, not only were they sacrificing all these things, we also see in Jeremiah that they were very faithful in attending religious worship services. On a regular basis, we see that God says, why do you keep coming to these services? You keep coming over and over and over again. And the issue is not with their, their activities. We see that they are very, very religious people. The problem that we see in their lives is that the religious exercises were always focused on the external appearance of their lives. The people of Judah wanted to continue relating to God on their terms. They wanted to be the ones that were in charge rather than submitting to God's way. And so they, cons- they, they constructed a system of religion that would suit their wants would suit their desires, that would suit their, their directions, and that they would try to live to accomplish their system. They did this rather than submitting their hearts to the Lord. You see, they thought that doing all the outside things is really what God wanted. And they thought that doing all the external activities uh, is what would bring them closer to God and that would make them acceptable to him and appease him. You see, the, the problem was that they misunderstood the starting point. They misunderstood the starting point of the old paths. The Israelites looked back and sought to live based on the works of the law rather than living in the grace of God. Here's a key truth for you this morning about the old path as we seek to find it. The old path has always started with God's grace, not our goodness. The old path has always started with God's grace, not our goodness. Notice the beginning of the covenant that God makes with Israel. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. See, in this passage, even the beginning of the covenant, God is the one who initiated the relationship. God is the one who saved the people of Israel. It wasn't because they were stronger or mightier than the Egyptians. It was because God was gracious to them. It was God who brought them to himself. It was God who overcame the enemies. It was God who brought the victory. It was God's grace that they were to be looking for. You see, they, uh, they, um, they were seeking to live in this relationship based on their works, not on his grace. The apostle Paul helps us to see this in Romans chapter 10. He says this of the Israelites, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. See, they had become a slave to a system that they thought could bring life. And at the end, it failed because they were unwilling to submit to God's way of true life. In scripture, we see that way of true life is a, is a life of faith. The apostle Paul continues in Romans chapter 10, he says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Another key truth for us this year is that the old path has always been the path of faith. The old path has always been the path of faith. My friends, here at the beginning of 2020, it might be the first time in a long time that you've been in the life of a church. Maybe last year was really bad and maybe the year before that was really bad and maybe you, in your mind, you think, okay, if it was bad because of all the things that I did, if I go back to church, If I start going to church, God's gonna be happy with me. God's gonna love me. God's gonna accept me. And God's gonna make my next year great. 
Maybe some of you are here this week like you were last week and the week before that and the week before that. You come week after week after week, year after year after year because you're terrified. You're absolutely terrified that if you miss just one week, that God's gonna like send a divine lightning bolt out of heaven and zap you right where you stand. And you are, you are basing all of your hopes of eternity on how faithfully you don't sin and how, how good you do. You're basing your life and your eternity on am I doing enough good stuff to outweigh all the bad stuff that I've done? And at the end of the day, you look and you look at the ledger and you say, am I in the, am I in the black today or am I still in the red? And you work and you work and you strive and you strive and you never get any closer. Friend, I wanna tell you two things today. If you are here today as an attempt to work off some of the bad and make yourself acceptable to God, one piece of information is really bad. The other is really, really good. First, you'll never make it to God based on your own efforts because your problem is worse than you could ever imagine. You'll never make it to God based on your own efforts because your problem is worse than you could ever imagine. The apostle Paul tells us this in Ephesians chapter two. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You see, the bad news is that we are spiritually dead. We are spiritually dead. We have no ability to make our way towards God. We always choose to live in rebellion against him and seek our own way, to be our own kings. And God can't let this go on forever because he's a just God and he is the king of the universe. And so because of our disobedience and our running and our seeking to be our own kings, God has to be just and judge our sin. But in this passage, we see the problem is that we are dead spiritually. We can't make any moves towards God. We can't work our way out of our spiritual deadness. We can't work our way out of our spiritual problem. And the only hope that we have is a new life. And, and scripture teaches us that, that apart from a new life in Christ, our attempts at walking with God will always lead us to spiritual slavery. Charles Spurgeon writes it this way. He says, the poor sinner trying to be saved by law is like a blind horse going round and round a mill and never getting a step further, but only being whipped continually. The faster he goes, the more work he does, the more he is tired. Maybe today that's you. You feel like you're going round and round and round the spiritual carousel. You're going round and round the spiritual mill. You're doing all the things and you just find yourself more and more and more exhausted. You wonder today, have I done enough? You wonder, you'll wonder tomorrow, have I done enough? You'll wonder the next day, have I done enough? If you go down this road this year, you're gonna be exhausted. Not only will you be exhausted, you'll be bitter. Not only will you be bitter, you'll probably be really judgmental. And then if you feel like you've gained some, you're gonna, you're gonna dive into self-righteousness and you're gonna look at all the people around you and say, well, they're not doing nearly as much as I am. They're not nearly as good as I am. And even with all those things, the pity of the year will be that you will never have made even one step closer to God. 
But you'll still be in the same situation that you are apart from God's work for us in Christ, which is what Jesus calls us to. He says this, he says, come to me all who, la- who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly of heart and you will find rest for your souls. The apostle Paul echoes Jesus in these words. He doesn't leave us wondering how many things we need to do. He directs us to Jesus. He says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Another thing for us to, to see this morning is that the old path will always lead us to Jesus. The old path always leads us to Jesus. Friend, this morning, if you're here and you have never received by faith the grace of God extended to you in Jesus, but a better, no better way to start the year than by laying down your attempt at working for God and begin resting in Jesus. To begin resting in his finished work on the cross for all who would believe for those who would trust in his sacrifice, in his death and his resurrection, for their salvation, there is hope of eternal life. So for some of us, before we get moving in our religious exercises, we need to stop and learn the path to life. We need to stop and see that it's about God's grace through faith in Jesus alone. So here's a question for you today. Will you succumb today to a system of religiosity Or will you stand today and every day on the finished work of the Savior who has accomplished what your system never could? Will you you continue down the road to religion or will you begin to rest on the finished work of Jesus? That's our starting point. That is the starting point of the old paths. And while the old paths without new life leads to spiritual slavery, uh, there's another side to the coin. Uh, Because you see, this passage doesn't stop with us just standing and looking. It moves towards us walking. Uh, Notice again in uh, in Jeremiah uh, chapter six, we're gonna see this next truth, that new life with no path leads to spiritual stagnancy. New life with no path leads to spiritual stagnancy. As we look at Jeremiah, he says it this way. Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. You see, it's not merely a path that we acknowledge. It's not really a path that we give mental assent to. It's not merely a path that we memorize. It's a path that we begin to walk. It's a path that is to be trodden. It's a path that is to be worn. It's a path that we are to go down and apply in our daily lives. Remember a couple of years ago, uh, Ashley and I lived in Kentucky, and uh, we, we found ourselves needing to make some, uh, some adjustments in our life, and it was, we, had some, we had to make some resolutions, right? Now, they weren't New Year's resolutions for health, but they were like, uh, we ate too many cookies this month kind of resolutions. You know, the kind of resolutions, I don't know if any of you guys have ever done this, but like watch Biggest Loser and ate ice cream. Any of you guys with me on that one? 
So then I'm thinking, we're thinking, okay, we gotta do something to move and get active. And so we started walking around our neighborhood. We would take our kids on little walks. We pushed the stroller. Um, but in Kentucky, what usually happens in, you know, middle of the fall, kind of until the spring, it gets cold. And it's not like here where it's cold for like a day and then it gets back into like spring weather. So it gets cold and it stays cold for a while. So we said, you know, we can't, can't keep walking. It's too cold outside. So we did what probably every single one of you guys would have done is uh, we bought a cheap yard sale treadmill, right? And here was our solution. We've got an indoor climate controlled opportunity to exercise. We're gonna run on this thing. It's gonna be great. We don't have to go outside again. It's just like right there. We had the thing for about a year. And I can tell you that uh, over the course of the year, between the two of us, I think that we got on that treadmill a grand total of five times, like five times. And so by the end of the year, when we were ready to get rid of it, our treadmill probably looked like all of y'all's treadmills. That's right. Our expensive clothes-hanging system. Our spiritual lives are a lot like that, aren't they? Our spiritual lives, if, if we have information, if we consume information, take information in, but we don't do anything about it, we'll never make any spiritual progress. I mean, I could have known every single thing there was to know about that treadmill. I could have known how it worked. I could have known how many minutes a day I needed to be on it. I could have known what my targets were for how fast I needed to run on it, the incline, whatever it might be. But if I never actually get on the treadmill, then next year I'm gonna be in the same place I was that year, saying, hey, I need to do something different with my life and, and get into some exercise goals instead of finding and seeing progress. For some of us, we know the way. For some of us, we've lived a long time consuming the information. We know the great doctrines of the faith. We know what, it, what the gospel is. Maybe this year for us, we need to start taking steps of active obedience. We need to start putting into practice the things that scripture teaches us and grow in our Christian walk. You see, Jeremiah is directing the attention of the people of Judah to this very truth, that knowledge without application leads to stagnation. They're going to be stuck if they don't start applying what they learn. The writer of the Hebrews, or to the Hebrews, says it this way. He says, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. This writer has a basic expectation about the Christian life. His basic expectation is that there should be some spiritual progress in our living. Now, in this passage, the progress is connected with these people's ability to, to tell other people about God's word, to teach them God's word. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't encompass the extent of what it means to walk with Christ. But what it does show us is a principle that we are to be growing in our faith and growing in our application of the word of God. Not only do we see it in in, uh, in, in, in Hebrews, we also see it in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter two, Paul says it this way. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, as we look through scripture, over and over, we recognize that Christianity is not a passive sport. It's not just a, an observation. And notice if, how many times have you ever looked through the pages of scripture and seen passages that talk about the Christian ride? 
We don't see anything about the Christian ride. We see scriptures that are replete with talking to us about the Christian walk, uh, that we are to be active, that we are supposed to take steps, that we are supposed to be moving towards Christ-likeness. And from this passage, we see that biblical obedience is always the response to the grace of God. Notice it starts with God. He, he has created us anew in Christ. And he hasn't just created us to be nothing. He's created us to walk in the, in the ways that he has designed for us to walk. The first part is all about God's grace and saving us. The second part is our response to his grace. Maybe you've been a Christian for some time. Maybe you have viewed your Christian life kind of like a, a spiritual chairlift. You just thought, okay, I got saved and then God's just gonna kind of move me along. I don't have to do anything. I just have to look out and see the scenery. No, God today is calling us to move, to walk, to take steps, to be active in our growth. Start putting into practice a grace-based obedience to the word of God. One that flows from a heart of gratitude and worship for all that God has done in his grace in sending Jesus to die for you and be raised on the third day and give you new life. To walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling that he has placed upon you. As we respond to this, it begins to work itself out in a variety of ways. Husbands begin to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Wives encourage are patient and and submit to and support their husbands and and walk together in the grace and truth of life. We begin to teach our children more and more the word of God and help them to to grow in their ability to relate to each other and to their watching world. We engage with our neighbors and our coworkers in a completely different way, seeking to find ways to to display the gospel in our lives and and then to, to show them what God's word has to say. So a question for you today. Will you stay put in your faith? Will you continue to consume and consume and consume without action? Or will you start walking with purpose? Will you stay put in your faith or will you begin to walk with purpose? Now this year to to guard ourselves from the first two, I believe God's word gives us a direction, a better way. In Jeremiah 16, new life in old paths leads to spiritual transformation. New life in old paths leads to spiritual transformation. We see this at the conclusion of Jeremiah 6, 16. Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. So we kind of bring these two together. Finding the old path and walking in it. We see the kind of rest and transformation that we always long for the kind of rest and transformation that we long to see at the beginning of this year and every year. But whenever we read this, we're kind of taken aback. It's a little tricky. How do you rest while walking? It's kind of a conundrum, isn't it? I don't know if any of you rest while you walk, but for me, it's a bit of an exertive activity. Uh, I usually am tired at the end of it, but the answer is found in the reality that we are not walking to gain God's favor. We're not walking to to gain something. We're walking in response to something. We're walking in response to what God has accomplished, not in order to gain his acceptance. The apostle Paul helps us to see this in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. It controls us because we have concluded this, 
that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. To walk in rest means that we understand what Christ has freed us from. He has freed us from our old dead lives. He has freed us from our old dead desires. He has, he has freed us from our old dead patterns of thinking and we are completely new. We are completely new in Christ. We have new desires. We have new directions. We have new things that find their fulfillment in his work for us. We are now finding our satisfaction in his name being made known, not ours. We're not looking to make our names great. We are living so that his name will be made great because his work has accomplished our salvation. It's, it's the difference between as a, as a believer or as a, a child or as a son or daughter of God, showing everyone through our actions what it means to be a son or daughter of God, living so that people knows, know what does it look like to be a son or daughter, or working to try and prove that I can be accepted as a son or daughter. One says, I've already been accepted. One says, I'm already part of the family. One says, I'm already uh, part of the inheritance and so I'm gonna live to show people what that looks like, what kind of joy is found in that, what kind of satisfaction is found in that, how good that way is. Or the other one saying, I'm gonna work and I'm gonna work and I'm not gonna know if I ever made it. I'm gonna work to try and prove that I'm good enough. I'm gonna work to try and prove that I can be accepted. And friends, that will lead to exhaustion because you'll keep working and working and working, you'll never find it. But on the other hand, if you walk in the rest that God has provided for you in Christ, there will be joy and satisfaction for all your days. This is what God's word directs us to. As I think about this, it's kind of, kind of like if, if I think of somebody who is blind and has been made to see, or somebody who is deaf and has been made to hear. We don't have to tell them how joyful it is to be able to see stuff. We don't have to tell them that, you know, you're gonna have to open your eyes again today. You're gonna have to listen today. They do those things now because it brings great satisfaction to them. They want to see what God has done. They want to hear the voice of their loved one. They want to see the beauty of a sunset or whatever the case may be. The same is true for the believer. We have had our spiritual eyes and ears opened to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And for us as believers, it should be unfathomable for us not to want to live our lives for his glory so that people see his value and worth. It's not because it adds anything to us. It's because he has given us life. Now, as we kind of conclude for this morning, one of the biggest challenges I think that we have, we may have all this information, okay, I need to know the new path. I've got the path. I've got the old path. It's, it's by grace through faith in Jesus alone. That's how I'm saved. That's how I have life. And I know I should be walking on that path, but what are some steps? What is something that I can do to start taking those first steps? I've got two, uh, two paths that I wanna give you today. First one is this. Spend time daily in God's word. I know you guys are looking for something really ex exciting and like shattering, earth shattering, but really the old paths are the old paths. What has God said to do? Study his word. Spend time daily in God's word. I did a little research and and I wanted to see how long would it take to just read through the Bible? Like if I just wanted to start one day and just read, how long would it take me? And I found 
that it would take me about 70 hours. I didn't actually do it, so don't, yeah, I sleep. So I didn't just read it. It said 70 hours. So I thought to myself, okay, so I could start on Monday and I'd be done really easily by Friday if I wanted to do that. But like most of y'all, I do like to sleep. And so I'm not gonna like binge read through the, through the Bible. Um, and then I thought to myself, well, I have to work too. So I can't just read eight hours a day and work. So then I thought, okay, how, many, how much time a day would I actually have to commit to make it through the Bible in a year? How many, how many minutes earlier do I need to get up so that I could read through the whole Bible in a year? And I found something that was really astonishing to me. That if you committed 12 minutes a day, if you committed 12 minutes a day for the whole year to reading your Bible, you'd make it through in a year. Just 12 minutes a day. You get up 15 minutes earlier, that gives you a chance to you know, splash some water in your face so that you're awake and alert. Uh, and then you go and start reading the word 12 minutes a day. And you can make it from Genesis to Revelation and maybe even include the maps. You know, you might add a couple more minutes on there. And you can study the maps as you go, okay? You guys did know that there's maps in the back, right? <laughs> Just making sure. Um, and if you want to know the depths of the gospel, you don't want to know the character of God. It's all right here. It's all right here. If you want to know God's will for your life, how, what it looks like to walk obedient with, with the Lord, it's all right here. And he hasn't made it some mystery that we have to go and, and try and figure it out. He's given us very clear directions and he's given it to us. We have more access to the word of God now than we ever have in history. In his word, he tells us that it's living and active. So when we open the word, we're hearing from the Lord. We read his word, we're hearing his voice. What greater privilege do we than, than hearing the word of the Lord? And you have access to it. 12 minutes a day, not to mention the bazillion apps out there that you could look at. You just open it up. I'm, I go with simplicity. So 12 minutes a day seems to work best for me. The other thing I would encourage you to do is to get involved in a connect group. Get involved in a connect group. In a connect group, you'll have people that are walking with you through life. They are seeking to apply the gospel in their own lives. And then they wanna encourage you to do the same. Now, I don't know about you, but I've found that there's one relationship that I really have very little problems in. Uh, there's not really much conflict. Usually there's agreement, and that's in my relationship with myself. And you guys, you guys usually get along pretty well with yourself? Yeah, I usually, not much conflict there. The problem is that in my relationship with myself, I fail to see all the blind spots that I have. I go through life and I think, well, I've got it all pretty well together. It's not until I'm in community with other people that they help me to see the areas that I need to grow and change, areas that God wants me to grow and change in. And then I have people that are saying, hey, maybe you think about this direction. Maybe you, maybe, have you considered this scripture passage? How do you think this lines up with what God's word says? And not in a judgmental, harsh, critical kind of way, but but as a, a brother or sister in Christ who desires my greatest good, and that's for me to be conformed into the image of Christ. So I'd encourage you, if you're not involved in a connect group, this is a great place for you to grow in fellowship with other people, to grow in your understanding of God's word and to live in light of the gospel. And if you're wondering, well, how can I find out about connect groups? You can talk to me, you can go to our connections desk, you can go online, 
Uh, we're going to be having another, a group starting in Leland soon and then a couple more in Ogden. We have groups that meet here on Sunday and throughout the week. So we have opportunities for you to grow uh, in community with other believers. Uh, at the beginning of the new year, God has given us an ancient path. He's given us his word that leads to life. It leads to rest, it leads to joy, and it leads to hope. It's the, it's the path that starts with his grace, is to be received by faith in Jesus alone, and then applied in our daily lives through obedient living. And I pray that the testimony of our year and of our lives is different than the people of Judah. Whereas their testimony ended with, we will not walk in it. I pray that our testimony will be, and they walked in it and found rest for their souls. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this day and for your word. Father, as we walk through this new year, we pray that you would fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by your power. In Christ's name we pray, amen.